You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Tanya Pinkins. Welcome back to part two of my conversation with Michael R. Jackson, 2020 Pulitzer Prize winner in drama. You're listening to You Can't Say That on the Broadway Podcast Network. So let's talk about self-loathing. Because that's when I that comes up for me all the time. Deep, deep self-loathing. Like whenever I do mushrooms or anything, like I go through hours of just self-loathing. And I don't try to resist it. I just go into it. You know, what yeah. is it for you? I mean, I will say that like I feel like ha- writing the show for me was living the show first. Cause I started writing it hard because I started writing it when I was 21. Okay. And I didn't finish writing it until I was 39, 30, 38. So cathartic. Like, so it was what I guess what I'm saying is that like the show from the very beginning, when I started writing it was, I didn't know I was writing a musical to begin with because I wasn't. It was just a monologue. Mm -hmm. But it was always about a young black gay man sort of walking through his life and his think his thoughts about himself and the world and trying to figure out what was wrong with him. And it was, but I didn't know that formally that's what the story was because Mm -hmm. I didn't know that in my own life, my problem was that I thought something was wrong with me and Mm -hmm. there in fact was not anything wrong with me. And you sure about that now? I am because like I went through, I like, I went through so many years of struggle and writing and therapy and like friends and like, and literally coming to this conclusion, oh, nothing's wrong with you. It doesn't mean that I don't have like my up days and my down days, Mm -hmm. but that, that core belief Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that I am not worthy Mm. is gone. And I wonder where that comes from. Cause like, I feel like I know where it comes from for me because I grew up in a family that came up from Mississippi and Louisiana. So where'd yours come from? My, I mean, mine came from, you know, being born into a family that loved me deeply, but did not have the tools to support me emotionally. In the, Is it because you were gay? Is it because I, you I mean, were gay? I mean, that was part of it. I mean, but like it was even before I knew I was gay, I was still like very sensitive and like soft and like I watch soap operas and every day and like But everybody, all the black people watch soap operas. No, but like not not little black <laughs> not little black boys all the way through like high school into college. The football players, all the soap fans, all no, the basketball but, players, but, all know, the football yeah, players. You know what I mean? Like I like didn't like to go outside and play sports. I was into music and theater. I was very sensitive. I mm-hmm. would cry, you know, it's my hurt my feelings. Like 
And my parents were just like, they didn't know. And like, and what, and like, once I did come out, like they didn't know how to support me emotionally at that time. Mm-hmm. And so, and then on top of that, like I would get made fun of at school and told that I thought I was white or that I was a sissy or that, um, just all the things I was fat. I had a list. I was like, all just all the things like, you know, that, that America they, says you don't get to be right. And, and then, right. That then like, you know, and then taking that into, even when, like, I, I always tell people that like, I grew up in a very interesting moment in the mid to late nineties where there were a ton of black gay boys around me, like at a moment when like people like Ellen were starting to come out, mm-hmm. but like that was for white people and not for us. Mm-hmm. And so, but we had this whole sort of underground thing where like boys were dating and sleeping with each other and all this stuff. But even that, I was like on the outside of it for the most mm-hmm. part. And so like, but, and I hungered, I wanted to be with those boys. And then I moved to New York and then suddenly in New York, it's like white gays and then, and the the white racism of the gatriarchy, the gatriarchy. Right. Cause you got to be beat, your body got to be hard and you got yeah, to work out 20 times a exactly. day. And-, and all those things contributed to this feeling that like, I just am not enough, mm-hmm. you know, and then, and then the creative and like in school, like this play is like not relevant. Cause it's not what, you know, all the, all the bullshit, all of it, all of that contributed to this idea of like, I am not enough. Mm-hmm. And yet my writing was the thing that, was a constant from since I was a little kid and my music was a a constant thing that I could go to for Mm. sustenance. Mm -hmm. And so I think that plus having like the presence of mind to seek out therapy many, many, many times over the- What kind of therapist? What flavor was um, the therapist? I mostly did cognitive behavioral, but then the last major therapy I went into was gestalt therapy, which ended up being like really, really useful for me because Mm -hmm. it was all about what's going on in your body. Mm. And like when you go and when you feel terrible, what does your body like? Where does the tension in your body exist? And for me, it turned out it was all usually always in my stomach. Like it would see, I would seize up if I was like scared or sad or whatever. Like my stomach would like seize up, and like and so when we would, I would work with my therapist at the time when we would talk about whatever was going on that week, and I would start getting emotional about something. She would be like, "What's going on in your stomach right now?" And I'd have to stop. And be like, oh, it's tense or whatever, and she and we would tap it out, and like I tap on my body to like a phrase, and it would sort of bring it up and like sort of release it. Like and, you'd have an emotional release from the yeah, tapping. Yeah, I mean sometimes yes and sometimes no, but yeah, it was like very powerful because you'd say something, you'd be like, even though uh, I hate my job, I completely and totally accept myself. Even though my mother called me a faggot. I know mean, my mother didn't call me a faggot. But my mother called me a faggot. I completely and totally accept myself. You tap on a different place in your body. Like whatever it was, like a phrase or phrases. And it would just bring stuff up out of you. And I wow. found that, and I didn't, and I always thought it was like corny when I first started doing it. But the more we did it, like it actually forced me to like recognize what, like putting my body and my emotions together and I found that to be a helpful thing while at the same time, like writing and making music and being creative and all of that, I think helps me come to the realization that nothing was actually wrong with me, that I was going through life, like searching for like this answer of why are, why am I like this? Why do I always feel this way? Why do I, am I so sensitive? Why does, why does it hurt my feelings so bad when they reject me or this happens or that happens? And like the answer was like, because you're a human. Mm. And nothing is wrong with you. 
Mm. And so that was, and the show was like circling, was spinning its wheels for many years before I realized the formal structure of that, that had to contain that realization. So I want to go back to this musical about white girls. <laughs> what's, the, uh, what's the premise of it? So White Girl in Danger, it's not, it's actually not, it's not, it's, it's called White Girl in Danger, but that's, it's ironic. Um, what it is, is like, so as I mentioned, I grew up on soap operas. Like my great aunt Ruth uh, used to watch me before I was old enough to go to school. And we would watch uh, Young and the Restless at 1230, Days of Our Lives at one, Another World at two, Santa Barbara at three. And that was like, and I just grew up engrossed in, in these soap operas. And the thing that I didn't realize at the time about doing that because I then grew up, I then started watching them on my own. I started recording them. I came to New York actually with the dream of becoming the head writer of One Life to Live. That's why I moved. Um, I interned at all my children where you used to work. What was I there? No, you no. This was because uh, you were you. I think you were gone by like the late nineties, or did you? You came back though. Like they on and drop me in every now and again, but like in the early, in the, like in the early days when you're there, I wasn't there, and I didn't start watching right. all my children until college anyway. But like I interned there. Um, what kind I, of black person are you who didn't watch all my children? I that was the number one black show in America. No, well, not, even over YNR with Drusilla and them. Over YNR. Interesting. Okay, I well, I just didn't. I we, we I was a Days of Our Lives boy <laughs> in another world, and then one night to live. Anyway. Um, so I like, the thing I didn't realize at the time when I was watching was that I was learning about story mm -hmm. and that like in stories in like the, in America, but certainly across the globe, we are taught that like, is we're taught to prioritize is the white girl. Okay. <laughs> and like, and that was a thing that I realized that I was learning that that was sort of at the heart of like a lot of storytelling. Is the white girl okay? Is she, you know, and like, and she always played one, two roles. Either she was the villainess or she was a victim. And that both of these ideas of this white woman were always, were happening not just in narrative fiction, but like in American reality. So like, that's how you get someone like Carolyn Bryant. Mm. A black man touched me. On the next, all my children. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> or like that, or that woman who shot the, the woman who shot Terrence Crutcher. That performance that she gave, she should have gotten the best scene stealer, a soap opera digest award for that. Mm. Like he was the most worst in my life. Like Erica Kane is mm. a Karen. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And I've been yes. like, so fascinated by what, and like once I like sort of realized that. Anyway, those are all like thematic realizations but the show what the show is about is um it's it's set in a sort of lifetime movie daytime tv universe not a set mm -hmm. but the actual world of it so like in a town called all white like pine valley <laughs> landview but the name of the town universe world whatever is all white and are there all white people in it and it's no and so there's all white characters in it who are like they had their like trope problems and then there's a class of people called the black round and the black round and the black round are the characters who are just there to be day player under five kind of people who live in the world in the realities of the all whites who cook and clean and, and do all everything who do everything <laughs> and like one of the black round is this girl named keisha who decides she's got what it takes to be 
um, a protagonist of her own all-white story. So he sort of begs the writer of the universe to please let her be a protagonist, an all-white protagonist. And he like sort of strikes her with lightning and he and the story begins to revolve around her. And like her hair slowly starts turning blonde like over the course of the show. And and as and her main rivals are three all-white girls named Megan, Megan, and Megan. And like uh he sort of he and manages to like usurp their story, their like their their storylines from them. And when mm. he does that, the story begins to revolve around this black girl at the center of an all-white story. But then there's a killer on the loose who's killing oh. off all the all-white protagonist and so the killer starts to go after her and then the killer's identity is like a whole big shocker and it's just this meditation on representation and stories mm -hmm. and this idea of equity diversity and inclusion like what like what are what are some of the problems of that um so have you seen hair wolf no i haven't you've got to see hair wolf, hair wolf on hbo it's um mariana diallo Amazing little short. Kara Young is in it. Oh, Kara Young. Yes, you got to see Hairwolf. Okay. You're going to love it. Yeah. It's a little like 16 minute short film. Okay, I'll check it out. But you 12 know, minutes maybe. But yeah, but it's like it's also it's also like a show that's a love letter to my love of soap operas. I love the form. I Me too. I absolutely do, and I always have. And and I and I never got to be the head writer of One Life to Live. So for this show, it's kind of like my I got to get that out of my system. And it's like very, it's like very funny, but it's also like dark and and crazy and and I'm excited about it. They must be wooing you to TV now. Yes. Or I'm or yeah, I'm by hook or by crook. <laughs> I'm gonna get there. Because I need some money. Okay, so you wanna go. You I, wanna make I that do. jump. I do want it. I mean, I don't ever wanna not do theater, but I do what? wanna to actually be able to to support myself and my family if I need to. What kind of show, give me a show that you would want to write on. Um, or a show you want to create. Well, it's funny because I haven't had any interviews to staff anything yet. And mm -hmm. so I've only been working on pitching my own shows so far. Great, that's fantastic. Um, so like one show that I'm pitching, I'm not, I can't get too into it, but like Absolutely. it's gonna be, it's gonna be a show that's sort of like, it, it just like this is us. There's dual timelines, but right. it's about a uh, a black man who, for a lot of reasons, ends up coming back to his hometown to teach at the high school that he went to 25 mm -hmm. years earlier. And he's mm -hmm. like a black gay man, and like it's you're seeing like both timelines at the same time mm -hmm. of him mm -hmm. as like a young person because a friend of his dies, um, mm. so shockingly. Um, of AIDS and like you're you're sort of tracking how did all of this happen? Why did all these changes happen through this this one person's lens? And it's sort of loosely based on my experience of like growing up with all these black gay teenagers in the mid to late nineties, which I just think is it was a whole other world. It's yeah. a different world than where you come from. Like mm -hmm. that, and I feel like people would be interested to to see the like the 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 intrigue of that and the like mm -hmm. the class differences mm -hmm. in in like growing up in a city like Detroit it's like I got very much saw high middle low within a black context right and so I'm I'm really interested to write a show that that uh shows that Judy was boring hello then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com it's my little escape now Judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy Judy 
The Chamba life is for everybody. So go to ChambaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChambaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. So this is going to air during Pride. And this is, you know, I may not get a chance to talk to anybody else about something like this. So. Yeah. When I think about gay pride and gay rights, mm-hmm. I think about it as the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. We had all well, the these gay rich, the gay triarchy, the gay triarchy. All these rich white men, mm-hmm. many of them closeted. They couldn't get out, but they could give their money so that these, you know, that it's just really. Some of them are Trump supporters, right? Yep. You know, it's a weird kind of thing that it is still a patriarchal movement, and for brown people, for women, even who are gay identified the movement is still a white male patriarch kind of movement yeah it's it is i mean and that's like the reason why like i vacillate back and forth between gay and queer Mm -hmm. because to me to say that i'm gay sometimes just feels like a very specific capitalist identifying statement Mm -hmm. which does not really match my life or my Mm -hmm. politics and queer feels more like expansive of my sort of of my of my politics and of my artistic lens and so forth um but i it's hard like i don't i I don't enjoy going to like pride events and things like that i remember like my most notable pride events was the first one i went to was when hillary clinton was running for senate uh-huh. And she just like popped up, like waving around everybody and then disappeared. And then uh-huh. the next one I remember was when Anthony Weiner was like trying to run for reelection or something after his after the scandal. Penis? Yes. And I yelled out, show us your dick. Yeah, <laughs> that'll get you like that. <laughs> Go over there and put a glory hole up. Right. And it was just like the whole, like I just had never really enjoyed it. Except for like maybe if I just have like my actual friends around me and we're doing something that's just for us, but the like the corporate n- nature of it and the like the way in which it's not really, um, it's not really about black people or about people of color. You know, it's just it's 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 so rooted in like a capitalist striving. Yeah, that is not that's just not what I'm interested in or about. And so I don't, I feel very meh on it. Yeah. Tell me something. I mean, I want to know this about your parents. Mm -hmm. Did your parents even know what the Pulitzer was? I don't know your parents. So when I so, well, I have to say this first. Everybody keeps, was asking me, are your parents coming to see the show? Are they going to see the show? And I was like, yeah, they're coming. (laughs) And then they're like, did they see it? What do they think? And I was like, they loved it. My parents... I have a recording somewhere. I have to find it on my computer. But my parents like held court in the <laughs> lobby of Playwrights Horizons, just like beaming. Like they were so fucking proud of me. And they Aww. were so happy and they like loved, they just were so impressed by the show and by, mm. I, I, mean, I don't think that they really got all of it, but like 
they just that their baby because mm-hmm. they know how long it's taken me. This is my first professional production. That's fantastic. After 20 years hey. in New York City. I Nobody her. knows if you're too late. They right. only know if you're too early. Right. And so like they they just were like getting a, a speeches about like oh. Michael used to always just have a book <laughs> in his hand. Michael used to just read. He always was reading. Like, you know what I mean? And like, yes. and then my mom was like, we didn't know much about the show. And there was one part he should have told us about. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know what part that was. <laughs> and so like, they were just beaming and they were so happy because like, they don't, they're, this is not their world. They don't even barely come to New York. Um, and like, and they just were so happy. So then like when the Pulitzer came, I called my mother and I was like, mom, um, I have something to tell you. I was like, and she's like, what, what? I won the Pulitzer. And my mom goes, what's that? <laughs> and then I was like, I'm going to send you the email. And then like when I, sent her, when I sent her the email, she like opened it while we were on the phone. She said, oh my goodness. Oh, I'm proud of you. Like she, then she got it. And my dad knew what it was. And like, they just were so excited. And they've been like Aww. on my cloud nine for everything because they just had seen how hard, how many years I was like, there were so many times over the years where they were just like, what you going to do with that? Because it just didn't, because there was, and there was no way for me to explain how the business worked. Because and I in didn't their know. Time, they couldn't do what you did. Right. They couldn't. But like, but they also yeah. were the ones who, when I had a full scholarship to Michigan State and told them I wanted to go to expensive ass NYU, they're like, well, we'll just take out a like gazillion dollar student parent plus loan for you to go because you, because you, that's what you want to do. You want to do. And like, and we, and we've seen you as a little kid <laughs> writing. And like, because when I was in middle school and high school, I like, wrote and I was in literary magazines and I like would go to the Michigan Youth Arts Festival and I got like my short stories published in little literary magazines for a hundred dollars or whatever. And so they saw that it was something that I was like good at and wanted to do. And so they made like a truly insane sacrifice for me. And so for to see the show thankfully, you know, be the success that it was and to be rewarded like on this level for them, like they they're so happy and I like seeing that in them. Yes, because I want that for them. It's like they get to have something, and because it's not their life is not easy right now. They're retired. Mm-hmm. They're on a fixed income. They're older. They have various health problems, but they get to have go get to be a showrunner. Yeah. and just make their life easy. That's what I hope. That's what I'm, I hope to to do. I, I'm standing in agreement. It's going to happen. Yeah. So what you know, twenty years is a long time. What? How did you stay in it? What, you know, what kept you going? Um, well, I, I, the first, I. Why didn't you quit and go back and work for the post office or be a police officer? Right. Um, well, I, I luckily, so the first, I actually got a like writing job right out of grad school. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was for a project that I should not have said yes to. And so I spent a lot of years just thinking because I'd come out of a program where you learn how to just collaborate and like do and do assignments. I just thought, Oh, I can do anything because I've been trained in how to do this. What I didn't yet know then is that like musicals are like really a commitment and really hard. And so you have to, you have to be really invested in what the story was. And this was not a story I was really invested in. And I spent like Mm -hmm. five years floundering on that. And like my advance ran out and everything. And then at that point I had to like get temp jobs. I started ushering at Mm -hmm. the, at the New Amsterdam theater when the Lion Mm -hmm. King was there and Mary Poppins. So I ushered for five years. 
I did flyering for Rock of Ages, more temping. I took out credit card advances on like every credit card I could get them on. Mm. I And then I got this like job as a finance clerk at an ad agency, which I did that for four, for five years. And it was like, that's where I re- also learned about racism in corporate America. Mm. I then got a job. I quit that job and I went to be an executive assistant at uh, a nonprofit, which was not, which is, which is like a flip side of like, like a mirror flip side of kind of racism in the world, but like from the like NGO, yeah, like nice white lady running a nonprofit side, you know? Yeah. Um, and like, and that sort of thing. Uh, and But also just capitalism. I, I learned during that whole period of time, capitalism will squeeze everything out of you. It does not yeah. care yeah. about your little race or your little, you know, needs or your health care or your anything. It's a death system. It's, it's cannibalistic. It, it will cannibalize itself. Exactly. So I learned that. And then, and, you know, when I was writing throughout all of that, and I had various support artistic support systems like the Musical Theater Factory, which Shakina Nabak yes. had invited me. And she was actually really key because um, she had invited me into MTF right as we it was as, as it was beginning. Mm-hmm. And she was like, do you have anything you're working That's on? That's who introduced well, me to you. Right. I was, I was like, there, I've had this musical I've been working on, on and off. And I brought it in. And that sort of began the, the actual momentum to production. Um, because people sort of took note of it, and like I started getting various developmental opportunities as after doing a reading at MTF, um, and so I had that, but I was still working these horrible jobs, and I just didn't give myself a plan B. Really, okay. that's I think that's the truth of it. Is that I was like I don't have anything else to fall back on. I I can't be a a police officer or or work at the post office. I'm a writer. And I'll just work these jobs and eke by and right. And you love hopefully- the writing. The love of the writing is such that you're doing whatever you have to do to be able to do that because it's what you were That's here right. to do. So, which is what I had already had done. Like I took out this massive loan, and my parents took this massive loan just so I could do it. Yeah. And so, like that, I, you know, if I can't make it, you know, if I can't make it there, I can't make it anywhere. I don't know. Like I just, I just kept at it because I didn't have a, a plan B. So right now you know, we're in the midst of a pandemic, an uprising. As an artist, what is your vision? What do you see happening? And not not like in a in a like how you're gonna make it if you were God, but what are you sensing is the evolution that we're happening? What do you see happening? What do you think's going happening right now? Well, I mean, I feel I kind of feel like a lot of this I think there's a lot happening, obviously. And I think one piece of it is that is hinging on the election in November. Yeah. That like, I feel like all the sort of chaos in some ways is spinning around that just as like, as a psychic thing in our Absolutely. minds. Absolutely. Like, Cause we're just kind of like, what are, what, how do we live in this world with this crazy man? Right. You know, daddy, daddy, daddy is like, is like on a bender, mm. you know, <laughs> and like, how do we like deal with that? And, but then there's another part of it that I think I feel very much right now, like the chickens of neoliberalism are like coming home to mm. roost in like a major, major, major way. The ways in which the left slash democratic party, liberal, whatever has failed 
us again and yes. again and again and again and again and again. And now, you know, people are like so desperate for anything to sustain them and to sustain us. And it's happening all over the world. You know, we're seeing neoliberalism like failing everywhere, right. whether it's in Brazil or in the UK or, you know. And fascism on the rise. And, fascist, and fascism on the rise. Like I think about places, I think it's, I was think it's interesting like when people talk about Donald Trump being a dictator and I'm like, well, he hasn't quite convinced the military to be on his side yet. Well, there was, there's some w rumor that that was what was happening this week. He was about to do a, a, a military coup and that's what brought M Mattis to speak. Right, but and but I'm just like I've not ever been certain that the military is fully ready is like really ready to get behind them like that. In part because there's part of what we've been seeing with like the Republicans and conservatives, conservatives who hate Trump or say they hate Trump is that what they don't like about him is that he 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 deviates from their sort of um, collaboration with the the Democrats on a lot of foreign policy. And and uncertain issues and like so I don't I'm, I'm I don't know but like I don't I don't right now I don't see the military getting behind him the way say they do like it, what's happened in the Philippines mm -hmm. or with Duterte <clears throat> or like what's happening with Bolsonaro mm -hmm. like but we we shall see I mean perhaps this uprising and this the economic insecurity that everyone's facing all of that will force that to happen but for now I feel like neoliberalism is like the chickens of that are coming home to roost in lots and lots of different places. Um, I see, uh, I mean, I, you know, honestly, that's like as far as I've gotten in my, like my crystal balling, because it's just, there's so much shit going on on the streets. And yeah, watching these home. cops beat people down like Rodney King every night. Yeah, yeah. It's frightening. But it's like, but it's like interesting. It's like that we're watching people beat people down on the streets, but we're also seeing people like this whole debate about racism on Broadway, <laughs> like all of those things, like those two things are happening at the same time. And I'm like, Broadway is closed. <laughs> Broadway is closed. For a long so you time. Can't burn, and you can't burn it down. It might burn itself down just because there's like no, no one's going and there's no money. And like, that's part of what I've been, I've been having a lot of angst around that conversation. I don't know how much in it you are. I'm not in and out of it. Right. Right. But it's just like, I'm like, why are we talking about racism on Broadway when there is no Broadway, when there's no Broadway and like there's people dying in the streets and, and, and very uncomfortably for some of these conversations, it feels like the people dying in the street is being used as a pivot mm. to talk about racism on Broadway in our careers. And if that is a real thing, like I find that to be the, the these bourgeois politics that are part of neoliberalism mm -hmm. that I find utterly disgusting, distasteful, immoral. And I've been struggling to like, I've been subtweeting about it mm. because I don't want to get into it. What's because my rating is not free. Because What's meaning like you meaning like you somebody says something and then you say something, but they don't really know that they're you're talking about them. But like, I mean, it's also, I'm not very subtle, but like, I just, uh, I just, but I feel, because I'm feeling like my rage is not free about that either. Like I'm trying to, I actually care about what I, well, what I care about is like my safety and, and, and I want to, and I do want to tell stories. I don't want to burn Broadway down. Yes. I want to take my story to Broadway. I think that me and my creative team and my producers that we'd work very hard to make something 
that like is is about people coming together to share this experience about a black queer man realizing that nothing's wrong with him. Mm. I think that's a very powerful, moving story. As you know, that's not someone dying in the street. Why why can't why wouldn't we want to sell why wouldn't we want to share a story like that? Mm. Or a black woman not being raped and killed, mm-hmm. you know, like whatever it is. Like no I, more I poverty like porn. I, we don't have to have the poverty yeah, porn all the time. Yeah, like Bell Hook, I love what Bell Hook said that like if I never see a black woman raped and murdered in my life on screen, I will be happy. Mm. And she talks about the imagination as a space for liberty. Mm. And I'm just really down for that. You know, and like and you and as a creator as an artist, you can make whatever you want. It's a choice. Mm. You don't, no one says it like you have to show people being killed and murdered on stage or something. Well, I love horror movies, so I'm going to tell you that. No, I, I do too. And I can have an idea. I make a lot of horror, horror movies. movies. No, no, I, I, I do too. I think horror movies also are another thing that like can show us who we are. Exactly. Um, and like I have an idea for a horror movie as well that I got to like finally sit my ass down to write. But it's been a pleasure. About, yeah. But thank you, Tanya. It's been such a pleasure it's, to talk to it's you. It's a pleasure. We should just do it, you know, when we can actually break bread again. I, I look forward to that. Anytime. And uh, enjoy the glows of being a Pulitzer Prize winner. And yeah, I look forward to seeing you on the other side. Thank you. Likewise. Be well. Be safe. You're listening to Tanya Pinkins. You can't say that on the Broadway Podcast Network. And that was my conversation with 2020 Pulitzer Prize winner in drama, Michael R. Jackson. Thanks for listening to You Can't Say That, the show where you can. I'm Tanya Pinkins. This is part of the Broadway Podcast Network, produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals, edited by Derek Gunther, music by Anthony Norman, available wherever you get your podcast. And visit me on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and let me know what you'd like to hear me talk about. For more information, visit bpn.fm forward slash YCST. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.